GM listener, and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly podcast. We have the usual crew here together, Philip Collins, Devin Becker, and myself, Nico Vreke. But today we have a special guest, Henry Lowenfels, who is a industry veteran. And um, I remember I met Henry in Cologne a few months ago, and we chatted about NFTs and games. And I remember at some point I had tears in my eyes because I was laughing so much. Um, so I thought he'd be a, a great guy to have on the show and to discuss uh, the bear market, you know, uh, a little bit, uh, you know, some de depressing chat going on, um, but I also want to touch upon some spicy takes of the future. Uh, but before that, um, Henry, could you tell us a bit more about you and, and what you've done in the, in the games industry? Absolutely. So first, thanks for having me. I am a avid listener. I actually, for some reason, I told this to Nico, I uh, missed the early launch of this podcast. And then like a total degenerate, I went back and listened to every single episode uh, over December break. So um, when I hear Devin and Philip and Nico, it's like I've, I've actually been running through the woods in the dark, like listening to you guys whisper in my ears. Uh, oh, we are terrified. Things. And so <laughs> so I, I, I feel like a very emotional connection to you guys being on this, on this podcast. Nice. Um, so thanks for having me. I have been in the entertainment industry my entire career and actually started as a film producer right out of college. Um, really wanted to, you know, be part of creating the things that people fantasize about in their spare time. Like, you know, we're so fortunate we work in an industry where the stuff that, you know, people are dreaming about doing for most of their day, we actually get to work on for most of ours. And so that was sort of the driving force behind uh, my entry into the entertainment industry. And uh, I moved out to L.A. in 2004. And from there, I really tried to get towards the bleeding edge of entertainment. Um, there was this thing called YouTube that was established in uh, the early 2000s that was starting to take off. And I moved from making um, movies uh, that only a few thousand people would see on, on a great day to, you know, YouTube videos that we could reach hundreds of thousands of people and even millions of people and kind of moved into the world of branded content and, and more interactive entertainment which led me to video games, which I grew up playing. I'm a pretty hardcore console player over the years um, and, uh, and a hardcore mobile player over the past 10 years or so. And in 2012, I joined up with Scopely as a very early employee. Um, so I, I was coming from uh, a non-gaming background and Scopely was really fascinating to me because they were really reinventing the paradigm of distribution. You know, and, and when you think about what distribution looked like in 2010, 2011 in the app stores, you know, Third-party publishing, you basically had Chilingo and, and not much else. And it was a game of just getting featuring in the App Store. And Scopely had a vision that it was going to get a lot more challenging to distribute and publish games. It's going to get a lot more expensive to make these games and to also market them. And the best creators in the world were going to need a scalable solution that they could tap into because still the best games were going to be made by relatively small shops, right? Relatively small groups of people, even if that was 40 or 75 people, still a pretty small group that, that could benefit from a publishing platform like the one we built at Scopely. So stayed at Scopely for about eight years. I led business development as the SVP of BizDev, overseeing uh, the developer ecosystem and, and really building out a great group of developers and acquiring a handful of them, both from inside our network and outside our network. And also ran the licensing business, um, so worked with big media companies um, and really uh, tried to figure out what games we should be making with what IP. Um, and that led me to my current job. So now I am the chief product officer at One Team Partners. One Team is a next-gen licensing organization focused on professional athletes. So we represent 
the group rights for NFL players, Major League Baseball players, MLS players, which is the soccer league here in the United States, NWSL players, the Women's Soccer League, U.S. Women's National Team soccer players, and a handful of groups of college athletes as well. And it's really exciting because I happen to be a very, very hardcore sports fan. Uh, go Giants. Got a big game uh, this weekend against the Eagles. And, uh, you know, it was a, a really um, cool way to bring together a handful of passions of mine and to leverage some of the expertise that I had coming out of Scopely and um, just the entertainment industry writ large. So it's been a great ride. Um, and it's given me a really, really cool way of entering into the world of Web3. I was... I'd say crypto curious when I when I joined uh, in 2020, when I joined one team in 2020, and had this idea that digital collectibles, especially in the world of sports, could be very meaningful and very exciting. I had actually bought a digital bobblehead with the small amount of Ethereum that I owned um, from a company called LucidSight, which was, um, I found it because it was actually advertised to me in my, in my MLB app, because um, I'm constantly in my, in my Major League Baseball app. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, okay, like, I think it was like, 0.15 ETH at the time, and I had a few ETH because I, you know, someone once told me to buy it, and I, and I respect that person. And um, you know, I decided to to try it out, and it was kind of interesting. I was like, I own this thing. This is cool. This is just like all the stuff that you can see. My office is behind me. It's just you know in a digital realm, and that was a real unlock for me. So when I came to one team, um, I was really excited to get to know the folks at Dapper and So Rare. You know, we've got partnerships with Mythical and Super Team Games and DraftKings. So really companies that have been established and been around, coming from other spaces, new companies, um, some of the crypto natives, um, gotten to know them pretty well. And I am incredibly excited and bullish about the space, despite some of the macro that we're facing right now. Nice. By the way, can you explain to me what a CPO does in a licensing company? It's a great question. I am not a product manager. I am a, a strategist and a business development type of person. Um, you know, when I talk about my role and why I have that title, I oversee the products that we make and I'm kind of in a, to a certain extent, product managing a slate, you know, we do a lot of category mapping and think about where we need to be, um, with our various properties and, and what types of genres within the games industry, or even within interactive entertainment writ large, fantasy sports, sports betting, et cetera. We, we think a lot about where we need to be. And so while we're not product managing specific you know, games or products, we are looking at the overall portfolio and thinking about it from a very productized perspective. Well, can you tell us about how you, within your company, are looking at your IP that you own and then Web3 technologies? Yeah, well, we believe our IP is a natural fit for Web3 technologies. You know, one of the great promises of Web3, from my perspective, is as simple as it sounds, digital ownership and memorabilia and ownership and collecting is such a, it's so inherent to the world of sports fandom, right? I mean, if you're a sports fan, you've probably collected stickers or cards or jerseys or something over the years, right? And so you're used to the idea of spending money on what is effectively a useless object that you value, um, that you place value on, that the community places value on. And, and enjoying it, displaying it, owning it, maybe selling it, maybe watching the value go up, but, but actually being able to play with it to a certain extent. And so that was really what, what resonated with me. And as a sports fan, I mean, I've spent, you know, thousands of hours and dollars with my sports cards. You know, I've, I've spent so much time organizing my baseballs downstairs and, and framing my autograph posters and all that stuff. And so it, it really just, it just felt natural to me. Um, and, you know, my belief is that as people... Um, 
globally live digitally more and more. I mean, even our day-to-day is more digital. Most people work in virtual environments. Even though we don't think about that as the metaverse, I would argue that Zoom is a part of that metaverse experience, right? And as people live more and more digitally, we think they're going to want to have more possessions, more items that they own, care about, and play with in those digital environments. And so um, we've been very proactive in figuring out um, you know, how to get our products in there. The, the one key for us has been to really focus on understanding what the product is and to look at Web3 as enabling technology, not as a new category. So a lot of folks have come to us and said, hey, we really want to make an NFT product with NFL players. And that could be exciting, right? There's a lot of different NFT products you can make with NFL players. So our question back to them is always, okay, great. What is the product? And when they answer back to us, oh, it's an NFT, usually that's the beginning of the end of the conversation. When they answer back to us, oh, it's a digital video that you can collect. It's a seven-second moment of what happens on the field. And there's going to be rarity, and there's going to be ways to upgrade it and to trade it. And that, that starts to be something more interesting. And then we say, oh, okay, cool, Dapper. So you want to make something that's kind of like a, a digital trading card with some unique interactive elements. That's, that's really cool. Or you know, we say, oh, okay, so rare. So you guys want to make a fantasy product where you just have to own the players, own the cards in order to put them in your lineup. Okay, this is a fantasy product. Yes, it's based in Web3, but it is a fantasy product. So we really take that approach and, you know, put, you know, we, we really put the press on our partners to, to explain what they want to do and then try to carve out the, the ability for them to, you know, have some lane to run in um, and, and do that very, very well. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting point, too, because it's the same conversation we have in the gaming world every day, too, around NFTs and utility. And that's these fun first games. And, you know, you hear fun first every single day. Um, but I think in the sports realm, it's interesting that digital collectibles have the opportunity to actually be more practical or useful. You know, I think when you get a signed jersey, you put it up on a wall and you don't want to touch it because it can depreciate in value if you mess it up. Uh, and once you change it, it is permanently, you know, potentially messed up. And and so using these collectibles as as interactive items in the digital realm is, is one of digital's greatest advantages and, and definitely align with you that you know, there has to be something that's not just a product. Um, you have to be able to take that product and do something with it in a lot of cases, even if that's just collect trade and, and show it off. Yeah. The, the, the story I like to tell is what got me into collectibles from being an early kid, uh, like around seven or eight years old is, is ending up with a bunch of baseball cards, even though I didn't really like baseball. It was just like something that was like given to me by someone who did like baseball to try and get me into it. But it was just that, that feeling of always like having all these cards and being like, now what do I do with these? Like I can organize them. I can put them in pages and sleeves and all that. And it's just like, well, then what do I do from there? And so that for that's why you guys always hear me harp on about trading card games and stuff. I've just always had that the itch for collectibles ever since like seven, eight years old because of that. And, you know, whether that be playing marbles in fourth grade or pogs later on or whatever, like just that idea of having something you can do with that thing. And I think the digital space offers the ability to like expand what we could do without like phil said you know tarnishing that that thing necessarily causing wear and tear on it but it can still have that sense of rarity or or providence or these other features of physical collectibles without some of the downsides yeah you know it's 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 really interesting to hear you say that because i when i think back to my baseball card experiences as a young kid i mean i had one friend uh, i'm actually going to be seeing him in a couple weeks and i found a baseball card with him on it like a like his parents must have made like a fun baseball card and give it to him. But 
you know, this guy and I used to spend literally, we'd have sleepovers. And from the moment I was dropped off at his house, the moment I was picked up, we were trading and playing with our cars. And I'm thinking about like what we were doing. It was kind of this emergent, these emergent games that we would play. And look, I happened to be about as hardcore of a baseball fan as you can imagine. So for me, it was like, we would go deep on the stats. And then that led me actually into, I mean, Devin, you know, I think maybe we go down different paths here in some ways, but they're, they're parallel because I was playing stratomatic baseball, which probably no right. one on this call knows what that is in like 1990, you know, at, at summer camp, you know, and, and then I was playing, I got in my first fantasy league was 1993 um, where I had a, another friend in summer camp who literally would use the Chicago Tribune every Monday morning and Tuesday for the Monday night game to track the stats in an Excel sheet. And this is like the early nineties, you know, we're like 12 year old kids. Right. So I think it was like immersion behavior. And now, now that we have these things that aren't just, you know, physical cards that you have to have rule sets or, or make things up. I mean, what we're not, I, what I don't think we're hearing enough about yet with web three products is the idea of live operations. Mm. Right. Like that's all we talk about in free to play games is live ops, live ops, live ops. And when you think about a digital product that lives with you, like to not change it over time and to not, and sorry to be trite, to not surprise and delight your audience, like, are you not missing an opportunity? Because this isn't something that, that lives on a wall. This is something that, you know, you can operate from a server if you set it up right. So, so why would you not be doing that? It makes it so much more exciting. And then, then you start to encourage daily engagement, right? And it's not just me making it up because I like my baseball cards. It's like, there's a push notification or there's a thing I'm compelled to do or I'm getting something or like, oh, I want to check out what's happening this weekend. I mean, that's the stuff that some were, you know, back to one team, we're pushing some of our partners into and they're, it's coming from them as well, right? When you look at what Dapper's doing with their playbook, which is, you know, a little bit um, of a way to get people to come back when the games aren't on TV, right? And to, and to engage and to lead up to something so that there is maybe a second screen experience that's been built toward throughout the entire week. It's, it's kind of like a battle pass idea if you think about it. It's a subscription. Um, so, you know, we're really, we're really pushing towards that idea. I think the industry needs to, for this to work, you know, it's not just, Hey, I bought an NFT and it sits in my OpenSea wallet and it's cool. And I show it to people or I display it. It's like, why am I engaging with that every single day? Right. And I think the closest thing we're seeing a lot of times is people like airdropping something or doing some like kind of thing. Like perfect example is that the Yuga labs thing with the, the dookie dash, which was like, you know, the airdrop, the sea, the sewer pass, and then, you know, proceed a game off that that goes to another game and like they're trying to keep like but i feel like a lot of times what we see is like the the equivalent of live ops for nfts is narrative like it's an ongoing community-based narrative and it's like that is like an emergent new thing for web3 and so maybe we see some direction that way where people like do something new uh when it comes to live ops that isn't just like uh, event systems where it's like here's like a specific gameplay chunk you could do this this weekend or this week or whatever but we have different ideas around community and and other stuff that that might be new. I mean, obviously, we'll do a lot of copying what we did in mobile and web stuff previously and stuff like that, because why wouldn't you copy some of that? But I do hope it's like a mix, right? Like like what you said, like Dapper's trying to do new stuff as well. I I, I anticipate like it probably take a while before innovation actually happens for the most part with a lot of it in terms of mainstream. But like, yeah, there's plenty of plenty of stuff we could be doing here. At, but it's like games haven't even been around long enough half the time in Web3 to have live ops. Uh, but at least, like, you know, something like Axie is as done as Axie kind of is in some ways. They're still, like, evolving the game and, like, changing it, doing balance changes. And, like, there is some some extent to that, right? We see some games running tournaments and other stuff. So it's like we're slowly inching our way there. 
Yeah, look, I, I think the Sky Mavis guys get this, right? I, I know I know the team fairly well over there, and I think that that's an example of a group that does understand it. I think the challenge is executing against it, right? And and they are to a large extent, but you know, one of the things I've seen when you look at some of the Web3 game development shops out there, even the biggest, like Sky Mavis, right? Or some of the biggest, um, they're still not staffed like the way that a AAA, let alone a, a, a really high-end mobile company is staffed, right? When I think about what we, the, the amount of people we had on Star Trek, you know, or Marvel Strike Force, let alone Scrabble at, at Scopely, right? And then I look over and I see the amount of people that are working on certain things at Sky Mavis. It's not always a, a numbers game, right? There certainly are, are groups of people that can achieve a lot more with smaller groups, you know, than, than others. But um, I think that it's just taking time to get the right resourcing and the right mentality and to like to spin up five, six tracks of development simultaneously, which is what these, you know, high-end mobile studios are doing because it's, you're, you need to kind of like constantly be shipping. You're not just shipping big updates, but you have like, I mean, if you go into the best R- mobile RPGs in the world 10 times in a day, you might see 10 different things, you know? And like that, that just requires manpower and, and a significant amount of thought and road mapping and strategy, um, which I, I just don't think a lot of the companies have been able to catch up to quite yet. We also just don't have a lot of game developers in, in the space until more recently and so it was a lot of people without that experience that were more just yeah. like coming in from finance or some other things and they were like focused on things like pre-sales and these sort of burst of act- initial activity and then just have no idea how to follow that up yeah how important do you think um or how significant is the mainstream thoughts around web3 for the talent acquisition of some of these more successful web3 games in your opinion henry I think that's a big question. I mean, I, I think right now, you know, it's an extremely challenging time to convince anyone who's not fully bought in to join a Web3 company. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so because I've listened to all your podcasts, I know that there's a lot of spicy predictions that, that happen on, on these podcasts. And so one of the ones that I was thinking about was, and I don't know, maybe you guys will say this is not so spicy, but I don't think Web3 games are going to work at scale until we stop talking about them as web three games like same thing with nfts right and so i think you know when i when i think back to like i don't remember my first internet games really i don't remember like why and how i first tried them i'm pretty sure it was in college when i finally got some like decent enough bandwidth so the user experience you know again was was good um but like if you think about what was happening in like the late 90s and early 2000s in the world of mmos you know I, I highly doubt that the conversation at Blizzard was like, hey, um, we need to make an internet game. Like, we really need to make an internet game, guys. What internet games can we make? It was like, hey, we've got this Warcraft 3 thing. And, like, people go into, like, hotel ballrooms and, like, plug in together. And now there's this technology that, like, maybe they could do that virtually. That's pretty cool. I mean, talk about utility and, and a natural fit. And so... Look, I'm I've certainly have done it myself. I sit here, I'm a I'm a everyone who knows me in the games industry knows I'm interested in web three and that I'm bullish on this stuff. And so maybe I'm part of the problem. But I think we sit here and we talk a lot about web three gaming. I mean, what's the future of gaming? The future of gaming is games, right? Mm-hmm. And the future of gaming is games that harness these new technologies in natural ways. Right. I think we're just starting to see that. You know? Mm-hmm. So like I, I think I'm really excited personally by what limit break is doing whether or not that works or not i mean we'll we'll see but i think i've always been a big admirer of gabe and i think that 
the, the passion and the aggression and the willingness to try new things, like that's awesome. Right. I, you know, and so I, I love where we're going and, you know, is it a web three game? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm really interested to see how it's positioned, like how people are talking about it after the Super Bowl commercial. I mean, you know, so the like game part, actually, because yeah. we still have yet to see a game yeah. come out. of yeah. well, and, I, and I think you're, you're totally right there too, where since the beginning, at its core, we viewed Web3 as an enabler, right? I think a lot of times it's viewed as a product, but it's, and then games, it, it's a back-end service. And there are so many back-end services that gamers know, love, and need that you know nothing about, right? You don't have to know about netcode to enjoy a multiplayer game and view multiplayer as a core part of the current state and future state of gaming. Um, and with things like Limit Break, it, it's an enabler to try to more effectively monetize users and more effectively monetize whales. And at its core, it will have to be a great game to do that. But the Web3 aspect isn't the game. It's what it's a mon- it's, for them. It seems like a monetization mechanic. And that, that's OK, too. I don't I don't think you have to fully buy into all of the world changing aspects of Web3 to see the value it can deliver to great products that are independently compelling. Yeah, I think people Nico, like- to answer your question more specifically, I think the conversation, you know, if I was recruiting at one of these companies, I think the conversation is less so come to a web, come to our company. We're a Web3 company, you know, I mean, maybe for certain audiences, but I think it's I think it's more like if you're limit break and, and to Philip's point right there, it's like, come come to our company. We're going to monetize users in a, in a new way that could never have been done. before. And if you're like a monetization expert or a product person or interested in strategy games, that's fascinating. Forget about Web3. Forget about digital ownership. We're just talking about monetization. So what is the technology actually doing for the game, right? Like, I, I think I, I think you might, guys might have said this on one of your podcasts. I, I personally believe there's going to be new types of games that, that are enabled by this technology. Like, Devin, you might have said this, but the idea of a game that makes trading fun, like a large-scale economy where, like, we've never really seen that before. And, and yeah. you know, where it's sustainable and fun and interesting, like, that could be really fascinating. That could bring in new gamers. Like I can imagine a whole new cohort of folks that don't like playing Call of Duty or Stardew Valley, but they but they want to play a game about like a, a, like some kind of crazy like Wall Street futuristic simulation or something. I don't know, right? So like I, I think that um, yeah, I think it's about talking about like what are you again? It's, it's the product. What's the product? It's not it's not the technology. I think people like me and Nico though really like to harp on the technology and focus on it because we're trying to dig into what it can do. And like, I, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, from a design point of view, I like to design with constraints because I find that always makes the mo- most interesting designs. When you can do whatever you want, you end up making the most boring thing possible. When you purposely limit yourself in a lot of ways and say like, Hey, this has to use web three, for example. And like, and, and focus on that. Not maybe, maybe that doesn't work great as like a product standpoint, right? Like you're trying to run a business. When you're trying to like explore the technology, I think it is good to kind of be like, well, I, I have to use Web3 in some way. So, okay, so what am I going to do with that? And how is that going to help shape this? And and take it in an interesting direction, even if it turns out to be the wrong direction. Uh, but I say that from a perspective of someone that's trying to explore the space rather than someone that's trying to make a business out of it in, in yeah. a particular way, right? And like, And that's the problem, right? Is like you have some people that are like investing in it as a business. And they need to be like, that does need to be games first and product first because you're trying to build an entertainment product in some way. And then there's people that are just like technologists that are just like, I'm going to build an on-chain game with no financial model whatsoever because it'll be cool. And it's like, we need both kinds of people and we really need a spectrum 
of people talking about it. And so it, it doesn't have to be like even a disagreement. It could just be like, hey, we're talking in this broad spectrum spectrum of people like with very different objectives and, obje- and agendas, but all talking about games in some different way. Mm-hmm. It's a really fair point. I think I should contextualize everything I'm saying with the, the fact that all this stuff is needed in the ecosystem. And yeah, I'm a very commercially minded person. Right. If you think if you think about just my career, that. Money what I said flow. about how I got into the industry, it's like I, I got excited by content that could reach a lot of people, you know, and that and that is that that to me was what was most exciting about free to play. And, and you know, honestly, like Web3, I, I think what's most exciting about Web3 is that it's a natural extension of free to play for, for me. You know, because because, again, like going back to that idea of living digitally, like I, I believe in free to play. I, I I, you know, I have built my career in large part on, on the back of it. And I think it's a, a great monetization system. The idea of price elasticity, I think it should be in more areas of our life personally. And I think actually, like, I, I love thought experiments. Like, what if Starbucks, like, charged one cent for their coffee? Like, would they make more money? Like, could they, like, could they then make sandwiches? Would, like, people come in more? Like, you know, what would, you know, I mean, that's maybe a stupid one, but, like, I, I no, love but the that, idea. That's like Gabe's whole free mint thing, right? Where he was trying yeah. to push a different yeah. angle on it, right? I mean, the second I heard that, it resonated with me. The second mm-hmm. I heard it, I, I, I was just like, this is, you know, what, I don't know. I'm not sitting here saying it's definitely going to work, but it resonated. Well, what if, if you own an Apple stock, you pay 10% less on your Apple products? I mean, I guess I technically did that because I worked for Apple and had Apple stock and paid less for on you. my products. So. But I use Apple stock to buy the products. So <laughs> I was I, I was listening to the GameCraft podcast, the new yeah. one. Fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah I, I highly recommend it. If you want to if you want to understand the game industry better, uh, you should definitely listen to that one. And one of the points that was made in the first episode, I believe, it was about the 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 shift in model from these coin-op machines towards, you know, the the packaged goods towards the, you know, the whole freemium model or the the microtransaction model. And one of the realizations I made was that one of the innovations that the internet brought to games was one that you could just like play multiplayer games. That's crazy. Um, but also that we could now through internet enabled payments, like pay inside the game and while playing the game for tiny bits, like tiny amounts. And so it was a, an innovation in um, how we transfer value led to a whole new universe of games, which were, mostly mobile games or or the free-to-play games. And so for me, another way to look at what Web3 technologies bring to games is, and, you know, I'm I'm the first to be talking about, oh, we need to use this for game design and we need to build games that can't exist without the blockchain, et cetera. Um, But that podcast made me realize that monetization changes or like the way we transfer value the moment we get innovation there, that actually has historically resulted in new types of games being made. And so now yeah. that we can, you know, from a business point of view, monetize way more granularly and we're way more flexible because you can monetize NFTs that are programmable in like an infinite amount of ways. Um, I think there's going to be some really cool shit that suddenly exists thanks to that. What's really yeah. funny and too I, is like, I, I, um, there's there's different evolutionary branches of it because like uh, mm-hmm. sorry I'll, I'll get to it for a sec Phil but just like it was just funny just like coming back from Tokyo and, and looking at like it's almost like an alternate timeline where arcades didn't die out where coin up stayed around and it was like developed in parallel with these technologies and like and how that kind of 
interacts in an interesting way just because it's a different culture and a different thing. And so like some of these don't even actually die out. They just kind of like go off of their own weird direction. And so it's like we get kind of multiple things happening at the same time. So go ahead, Phil. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, it's interesting because I think listening to game history podcasts like that with Mitch and Blake, you, you kind of get a sense for how ingrained we get with current business models and how unobvious things can really push things forward. And so like id Software going towards the free-to-play model as a, as a starter and, and using shareware to their advantage, um, back then it seemed so revolutionary and honestly probably so stupid to so many people. Um, and for, for a lot of people, that's probably web three today. And after web three, who knows what comes next, but there's always going to be these evolutions and how things are done. It's always going to seem ridiculous, but, um, it's interesting to hear past examples of people breaking the norm and eventually finding success and creating a standard that's so obvious to us today, but 30 years ago would have seemed absurd to, to try to monetize that way. Yeah, I was Nick, Nico. When I heard that, also I was thinking about I, my mind immediately went to Web three. You know, which is where all our heads are at on this podcast, I'm sure. And I was, I, I've actually, I don't, I haven't listened to the third one yet. I think it just came out the other day. But I hope he gets to Web three. I'm very curious. I mean, he he is such a sharp guy. I've never heard him speak yeah. before, but he's he's amazing on on the podcast, and he's so articulate and experienced. I, I really, I would love to hear his perspective. I, I really like hearing. Like you called me a games industry veteran. I mean, man, I, I like that's both an honor. I also slightly cringe at that because Miles Davis said to try to play like a beginner every single day. So I, I never want to be a veteran at, at, at anything. But um, I mean, like I've, I've been doing this for a couple of years. Mitch Lasky, like, that guy's been like, I like, I want to hear what he's got to say about what's happening mm-hmm. now with that perspective. You know? Yeah. I'd, I'd highly recommend you listen to his invest like the best. If you haven't yet, I, have. Patrick I, just, I, I, I think, yeah, they hit on it a market. little, just a little bit of Web three, and I think like his five minute perspective was yeah. was very insightful, and I think aligns with how he talks about the evolution of free to play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but totally agree. There, there's some there's some good resources, and he's a he's an amazing resource for games industry veterans talking about business models. It's it's this pretty, like a it's podcast recommendation engine here. Invest like the best is is fantastic. Also, mm-hmm. you know, shout mm-hmm. out. Does Mitch does he only invest in games? The benchmark. I think he did Snapchat too, didn't he? The benchmark. I think his consumer tech is what he yeah. focuses on. But yeah. he's done like Riot as well, so he's yeah, definitely yeah. Yeah. has the games brain. But I thought he, I thought he was on like the Snapchat board at one point, so maybe a little bit of both. That's a good story. I think he discussed that in probably the Invest Like the Best episode, where like his investment in Riot um, is fascinating. And actually, they go pretty deep into that on the on the GameCraft one as well, where it's. It's it's taken in the existing model, and again, this super applies to Web three. It basically what the ride guys did was they, what was it again? So they're taking an existing gameplay loop and they're adding a new monetization model on top of it, which was mostly built around cosmetics, um, and so a, a very like successful proven gameplay gameplay loop, and then you know a new monetization engine that then fuels you know new additions, content, and a whole esports scene around it. Um, really fascinating and again apl- applicable. They also need- they also identified a, a a niche experience that was really really beloved, and found a way to enhance the user experience purely via distribution, because the way that you needed to get Dota back in that time was to go on to eBay, and you you, you know like you, it was a runaround mm. you know it wasn't like an easy thing to go and, and you know go to a website and play a game or go to the app store or Steam or something and just install and, and go for it so. I think that, you know, talk about business model innovation. It's like 
just getting the product into people's hands. And, and, and that's one of the things we're facing here with Web3, which is not to come back to limit break, but part of what is so intriguing about what is going to happen in a few weeks, win, lose, or draw, we're going to see someone attempt in a way that's never been attempted before to put a Web3 product into the hands of many people. What are those people going to say about it? How is he going to communicate it to those? Because some we know about this, but like my dad doesn't. And you better believe he's going to see the Super Bowl commercial, you know? So mm-hmm. like there's going to be a lot of people who are going to, who are going to hear about it for the first time on, on February 13th or whatever the date is. And, um, yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see. I can't stop Very thinking exciting. about pets.com every time I think about that Super Bowl thing. Yeah. We might be in that moment too. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Um, good. Henry, you mentioned that you had a number of, of spicy takes. Oh, what's, no. what's your next one? My next, <laughs> my next spicy which, take. Which one will make our hair stand up? Okay. I, I, this, is, this is relevant to my, this is a relevant <laughs> one to my world. So this is spicy. I, I mean, so I, I, like I'm, I'm sitting here, these are not, these aren't things that I'm going to the bank and, and, and putting money on necessarily. Okay. But, yeah, of course. Um, I think the, the first sustainable, large scale, like one that we all agree, this is a hit Web3 game will be with licensed IP. I don't see why not. And I don't consider the ones that we see out there sustainable yet. Like, so rare could be, maybe, but, you know, like, or like, you know, dapper with some of our products could be for Mm -hmm. sure. But, and and baked into this, this, um, this assumption as well, or this, this prediction is also a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a feeling that it's going to take a little bit of time, Mm -hmm. unless it's one of these sports things. Cause to be honest, there's not a lot of licensed IP that's taken the leap yet. And so even Disney's, talking about it more now they're talking about it they're talking about it but but we have but think about how long a, a disney game is going right. to take to be made at, at the quality mm-hmm. level right so so i mean maybe maybe one of these groups that already has something or, or unannounced you know there's stuff that, that's happening under the covers but i say that because again user experience distribution you know are we going to get a mass market experience that people are willing to jump through hoops and i and i i, I think while we are starting to solve user experience issues there's still going to be hoops that are that are needed to jump through in the relative near term. So if you put if you put you know Luke Skywalker in front of someone and say jump through a few hoops, they're much more likely to do it than if you put a random dude with a sword. No, if you, you know? just put Pokemon on it, like oh my Pokemon God. Go, well, yes. that's all you have to do, right? Like it, it suits, like it suited Pokemon Go and it suits NFTs. Like if 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 they actually just decided to make a like, there's so many people trying to make that already. And they're having to like sue people that are trying to say that they're making it. Like mm. if they just pony up and did it, like that would already, that would be it. It would. You mean if they exactly. put the best IP in the world with that, that is all about collecting on the blockchain, it would work. I, I, I would agree. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's the thing is it's like collectibles, like are almost always going to do better with IP attached. Right. That's just, yeah. it's a given. Right. Yeah. So, but, but it's a spicy prediction because like, believe me, we're probably the most aggressive in the sport, the sports licensors are the most aggressive when it comes to licensing. So, you know, and, and yes, Recur, you know, had a, had a handful of licenses and there was some stuff that was going on, but like, you know, Hello Kitty wasn't like giving someone, giving Recur the ability to like make a Hello Kitty world and a bit, you know, they were selling a few collectibles, right? So I think this stuff is, is starting to take time, but I am, I do believe this is where, where things will go. And, and I think one of the interesting parts about that take is the timeline that it potentially implies. And I think we talked about this last week with the three of us and Jonah around trust in, in Web3 and 
the fact that a lot of these larger brands are probably going to want to have more consumer trust to really dive into it. But a lot of consumer trust is potentially contingent on these bigger brands moving in and having that be the, the ignition into, into Web3 for a lot of people. So what do you think the timeline for big IPs like what you're working with at one team is to really make that dive? Yeah. I mean, look, sports is already there, right? You already have a handful of football, basketball, baseball um, products that, that soccer that, that are, that are out in market cricket. Yep. I, I know there's a tremendous amount happening in, in the cricket world. And, and actually that, that to me is fascinating when you think about India and, and, you know, parts of the world um, like South Africa and, and whatnot. So um, when you talk about the type of IP that um, people typically associate with video games, uh, I think you're, you're looking at earliest, some of these game games coming to market in 25, 26. You know, I think, I think the reality, one of the things that, that was really fascinating to look back on, and I got caught up in it myself last year, was in, in all the exuberance of, you know, trying to put products in market, the timelines for production just got, like, it's like every conversation you had, they just got shorter, 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 shorter. And it's not realistic. I mean, it takes nine months to have a baby. Like, don't tell me you're going to be able to have a kid in five. It's just not how it works, right? So I, I think just typical, you know, game development with systems that these types of games require and, and the tools and tech that you need to support it properly, you're, you're looking at 18 months plus, like every time, pretty much, even for, even for a fairly simple game, you know? And so even if someone were to green light, you know, a, a Star Wars game today, it's it's not coming out until the middle of, of 25. Well, what I find interesting with that, though, is like what Hollywood's done with like really finding ways to shorten the timeline, the way they're like using lots of different outsourcing, lots of different ways of distributing stuff, parallel filming, like a lot of different ways to try and shorten timelines for that same reason, right? Where they're trying to like get stuff out faster. And obviously, sometimes it leads to lower quality product. And then you see other people like in the game industry trying to do like with, with Call of Duty where they do like the layered, like the staggered, different three different studios making it and so like yep. there's definitely people trying to find a ways to shorten these timelines right or there's like hey let's let's take an existing thing and reskin it or like things like that so it, it's always possible that we get someone that that gets a shortcut that happens to work well enough but it hopefully is doesn't become the norm right like we don't want that was the whole pre-sale thing it. too right that was the right. pre-sale thing it was like hey well we'll put this out people are already interested you know and we'll tell them what it is or show a video or, or not and, and hope it works and it was working for a period of time mm-hmm I really like your prediction, Henry, because you can actually break it down and, and draw some conclusions, right? And one of your conclusions is that there's always going to be a barrier to entry to Web3 games, right? There was always, there's always going to be hoops to, to jump through, or at least for the foreseeable future. It won't be as smooth as, as a non-Web3 game. And so there's, there needs to be a hook to overcome or to give reason uh, for people to, to you know, jump through the hoops. The earning hook, I guess we can all agree uh, it's not going to happen anytime soon, right? So that's gone. Um, the innovative gameplay loop where, you know, the game is so special that for that reason you're willing to jump through the hoops. Like your prediction assumes that that's also not going to happen. And so what you're saying is it's all going to come boil down to IP, which is like a tried and true way to get people excited about something that's not necessarily innovative in other ways. Yeah, Starbucks. Example. I think that's a great example. I mean, look, outside of gaming, I think the two very obvious applications for this, which I'm certain are happening, well, we know Starbucks is happening, but loyalty, why Why would we not see, why, why 
are my American Express points not on some some blockchain system, right? Like it just it just makes more sense. So many different ways, transferability, et cetera. Um, and the other thing is uh, luxury goods. If you're buying a five thousand dollar Prada, you know, purse or whatever, like you get a certificate with it now. I mean, that's insane. Like, why does that certificate not live on the blockchain? Just to me, those are these, and these are the things that, like, you know, I, I come back to. I, I've been focused, you know, I focused this conversation a lot on product and, and and commerce and commercial use and all that. But but to me, like, I really believe in elegance and simplicity of design. You know, and it's really hard to do. It's why it's why Apple is such an incredible company. Like they were able to just simplify the design of these these machines that that felt so complex, right? Like it's it, if you think about even even complex games, they start off with with an air of of simplicity. Like like a game like if you remember your first time playing Clash Royale, you know, which is my favorite mobile game of all time, right? Like it just felt so simple. Like oh yeah, now oh, now I understand the counter, and now I understand no, and I what it's like, and then it builds, right? And I think that that like design simplicity is going to be really really important here. It's why I'm attracted to the products that you can explain, right? It's why I'm attracted to products where like you know, Sorare is the one I I do come back to because I can I can explain it to my seven year old son, I can explain it to my seventy four year old mother. She'll kill me if she hears this podcast. And I said how old she was. But they both understand <laughs> what it is. Like they literally understand. Like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. When you try to explain other things to them, like I'm like, this is what alluvium is, mom. It's like, what are you talking about? You even know? or even to my seven. Explain to people. It's not a battler. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is funny because I th- I think back to, or I think forward to ten years from now. If I were to go back and listen to one of these conversations, like the one we're having right now. Is us talking about things like Amex points needing to needing to be on the blockchain like 25 years ago, talking about the World Wide Web, and are we just going to sound so ridiculously um, ancient in technology terms when we think back to that? Because I think eventually, to one of the points Henry made earlier, we'll stop talking about things being on the blockchain, right? It'll it'll become one of those backend technologies that helps. Mm-hmm digital experiences It'll just be decentralized transactions I, I mean, so it's, it's, it's funny to think about that from a simplicity standpoint because it is such a complex association right now of things being on a blockchain mm-hmm. to, to me it's, it's funny like so people still ask each other like each other are you into nfts like, are, are you like are you into that are you into nfts and it, it would be a little bit like asking someone like hey yo nico you like websites <laughs> are you i think it websites? the term cyberspace right the way we used to use the term yeah. cyberspace like, exactly. like that's what it's blockchain like, is, right? Is that it's like these about? NFT enthusiasts, like, you know, like NFT llama or all these folks on like on Twitter. It's like, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm really into websites. Like that's what I'm really, <laughs> that's my thing, man. Like I love websites. I'm bullish like, on them. Like, let's go. Dude, the, the one, like, I made a tweet about this. I'm, I'm, I'm into NFTs in, in a few years. It's going to be the same as like, I'm into PDFs. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, totally. I totally agree That's cool, that. man. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Love that. I yeah. hope so. What, what, I hope we um, sound ridiculous. Otherwise, we haven't moved forward yet. That's yeah. true. That's true. This this should be a very very outdated uh, conversation pretty soon. Uh, in a best case scenario, one one last thing I wanted to just uh, that that sparked in my in my mind with all these discussions about you know blockchain doesn't bring anything to games. Um, I had a discussion with um, a friend of mine. He's a he's a, a streamer um, and also like a semi pro uh, uh, CS:GO player, so Counter Strike. And so one of his big frustrations is cheaters. And so um, a an idea there that, that I got, which makes a ton of sense and should exist, is a sort of decentralized identifier that you 
use to that you're you have to use to um, log into games that they don't know anything about you. But once you cheat, like everyone knows, all of the games know that you cheat, and so. Um, yeah, that this this feels like something again. We we've talked a lot about oh, but everything on the blockchain is open and transparent and et cetera, et cetera. And then our answer is that there's technologies that are advancing. Um, I mean, it's you know, built the... on cryptography. It's already built on an obfuscating tool. So. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. Uh, that's another one that I that that came to me, and I think that we'll like. I hope we see a lot of a lot more of these examples where because most of our conversation is about oh, Web three in games, right? Specifically, mm -hmm. like looking at one game, but I think around that. We can do some some really interesting. I things. still think identity is going to be one of the next big unlocks in in that, and I think that will be part of it. Like reputation and stuff like mm -hmm. that will also be. Part. I mean, we yeah. already see that in social media and all these other things where where online persistence of online reputation matters. And I think like once once the blockchain gets involved and there's this idea of permanence and security to that and decentralization, so you can't just scrub it. Like you know, like superpoweredarchive.org for your stuff. Like there's just no getting rid of it at that point. And I think. Yeah, KYC tied to like cheating. Like, what do you mm. do when you're just blacklisted from games? Like, I'm blacklisted from every Web3 game now for the rest of my life because I cheated because they all use this like blockchain identity. It's like, yeah, there's there's so much potential. We talk, talk about using social pressure for good. Like, that's, right. that's fantastic, mm -hmm. right? I mean, Although, then we start to move towards China's like, uh, Social stuff that they were doing, social credit system. It's, it's dangerous. Like, it is a slippery. You can you can imagine that getting pretty dystopian pretty quickly. But you know, there's also some really interesting utility there. And if it's like a it's a sort of accepted system that everybody buys into, it's like you know a version of a game ID. Like, what's your name? I like how, that's how I connect with you in games. And, and every, everyone would kind of be incentivized to to be a part mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. The cold start problem is the challenge, but I mean, you can get that thing going. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, so South Korea is definitely pushing for their all their metaverse stuff now that like connects to utilities and all that stuff. So they're actually, I I would say like they're one of the ones pushing in that direction. Where I imagine identity is going to be a part of that and like all yeah. that stuff. And and Asian culture in general factors in reputation probably a lot more than other cultures. And so I imagine that stuff will will maybe start there first. You know, whether it be more dystopian like the social credit system or more futuristic like the metaverse system, like there's they're all kind of going that direction. Mm -hmm. fantastic good we're up on time guys this was as usual an absolute pleasure um henry you specifically thank you for joining man it was uh it was really fun thank you guys i i love being here a lot of fun we should uh we should do like this more regularly and then um we can talk about the investments hopefully you know things will happen there'll be you know something new to talk about um fantastic my editor right. told me that i have to remind you if you're listening to subscribe, like, press that notification button, and leave a comment. Also, rate on Spotify. Yes, you can do that now. Okay. And give us five stars. That'd be amazing. And if you think anyone else would enjoy this, then uh, feel free to share. Yeah, if you're not going to leave five stars, then just don't leave a rating, okay? It's okay. No, it's like you have to vote, you know? You have to You have to rate. If you didn't like it, let us know, you know? If, if you think... Uh, Privately, um, though. Yeah. Now, come into Discord, and, and, <laughs> and we can talk about it. No worries. It's a safe space. Good. All right. Devin, Phil, and Henry, um, really appreciate you joining. And listener, as usual, appreciate you, you listening. Um, yeah, uh, thanks a lot. And look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Ciao.